Have you ever dreamed about being on a motorcycle? The rush and roar of the engine between your legs while gliding down the freeway? The wind thrashing your face and your hair as you dip your bike around corners? A sense of freedom and brotherhood and sometimes chaos. Get on your bikes and ride with us as we talk about the Hells Angels Motorcycle Club on today's edition of Clap by Fire. You're listening to Clapped by Fire. Yo, Chiefs! Hell yeah! Our uh, the Clap by Fire team all chose the the Chiefs, and uh, they won the Super Bowl. So, woohoo! First time I've ever made a sports prediction that actually uh, became true. So, yeah, yeah, and I guess that paper really wasn't uh, correct. That was floating around on the internet, although the score was pretty damn close. It was extremely close. It was so close that maybe it was leaked, and they're like, hey, let's just change it just a little bit because it's already all rehearsed. So, uh, I don't know. When I when I saw the score, I was a little skeptical, just saying. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the game was great, though. Like, those guys played awesome. It was super intense the whole way, so. Look, uh, Kai, I think that we're just your, your lucky charms. If you've never made the the right prediction before, we got it this time. So if I if I if I go to Vegas, if I go to Vegas and put in a bet, you're gonna hold my hand, right? Uh, no, uh, I won't hold your hand. I'll hold your I'll head. You. <laughs> hold your hair behind your, your ears. So yeah, and then also too, I just want to talk a little bit about the halftime show. Uh, Rihanna, she did a great job. And I actually did not even know this, but after I was hopping on Twitter, and yeah, she's pregnant. So, uh, you know, it's just kind of cool that someone that's performing, doing something that extreme was also pregnant. She didn't really do a lot of dancing and stuff, but, you know, like I said, performing at the halftime show while you're pregnant, it's pretty impressive. I mean, hats off to her for that, but at the same token, man, I got to make fun of the background dancers. Like, seriously, that was... uh... (laughs) <laughs> some goofy background dancing bro a lot of the memes were like uh how the platforms were was like kind of like super mario like the old school or like super smash bros you know back in the day <laughs> just how the just how the platforms a lot a lot of the other memes too was like uh you know senator palpatine's uh, right hand man performed the super bowl there's a lot a lot a lot a lot of funny memes about it I said the ones that I saw were pretty much having to do with her being pregnant and all those are little sperms just running around, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I, there was so much twerking. There was so much booty shaking. And, like, I don't know. Like, I, I thought it was good. It was a little awkward. But uh, for the most part, it wasn't, wasn't like, crazy bad. It wasn't, I don't know. I'd give, I'd give it, like, a, you know, 7 out of 10. <laughs> oh yeah so uh yeah uh, super bowl super bowl was good um you know eagles would have been would have been good to see you guys win but uh chiefs took it again so uh good game good game oh yeah okay guys let's now let's talk about some news like what's uh what's going on in the world right now so uh i'm, I'm gonna go first real fast so in the past couple days, they've shot down multiple different of these uh, supposedly um, UFO balloons. And um, there's this YouTube team that's on TikTok, 
And <laughs> I'm going to make you guys, I'm not going to tell you the name. You guys are going to do a little bit of research. I want you guys to find these people because their content is hilarious. But what they've been doing is they've been buying these big balloons and they've been writing not on China or, we, or not, not China or not a spy balloon. And they've been launching them in the air with adult toys tied to the bottom. And then they'll call like the <laughs> local police and they'll be like, hey, I think I see another one of those spy balloons outside. It is absolutely hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow that is awesome man and uh <laughs> you know it shows them like looking through the binoculars and it you know it like <laughs> you see the big balloon and then you see like the you know the massive like tree log that's <clears throat> you know it, obviously a little explicit so i'm not going to say it a, a, an adult toy just uh flying through the sky <laughs> like <laughs> wow that's awesome Oh, and then uh, then I'm going to cover one other thing uh, real fast. We've been talking about this on this podcast the past couple of weeks, but uh, what in the hell is up with people murdering their damn children? There's another one? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Every day. Every freaking day. I saw the story that was just posted. Uh, this guy broke up with his girlfriend, and uh, you know he's like in the process of moving out. So what does he do? He kidnaps his ex-girlfriend now. Her daughter takes her back to his place. Uh, you know, brutally, brutally rapes her, kills her, and stores her in a freezer in his basement. And then his ex-girlfriend's like, hey, where's my daughter? Where's my daughter? And he's just like, I don't know. I don't know. So <laughs> obviously you're a suspect. You know, you just break up with someone and the kid goes missing. They go search this dude's house and uh, find the girl in a freezer in his basement. This ha- you know, this was just reported yesterday. I saw this information. So, Holy shit, man. What oh, the fuck? <laughs> yeah, dude. It's getting bad. Something in the water, I guess. I don't know. I, I know I know people like I know a lot of states have been doing away with the death penalty, but I just there's a special place for people that murder children. It is so disgusting, bothers the living hell out of me. And like I said, I read this shit in the news every freaking day. Jesus. Yeah. Uh okay. So uh I guess I'm gonna pass over the talking stick. Who's next? I just looked up some stuff uh, a little bit ago. I saw some came across uh, Utah Governor Cox is telling people from California to stay in California and stop moving to Utah. <laughs> so Holy pretty shit. much like what, what he's saying is over the last 10 years, Utah has actually been the fastest growing state. Uh, and a lot of the people are coming from California, and I guess his issue was that the housing market still, you know, hasn't caught up uh, over the last couple of years with the uh, droughts that we've been having. We haven't been able to catch up with all the all the new people coming in and um, kind of draining the resource. And you're just like, hey, wait in California until we can get things all set up and ready to go. And yeah, it was just kind of a cool little um, little story, just with the housing shortage um, and the fact that some of the Republicans say we don't want some of the you know more Democrats coming into the the city, the the state. 
And um, yeah, I mean, apparently it's been pretty good for the uh, like short term rentals and uh, stuff like that. But that's what I was kind of cool. I mean, we've talked about it in the past about, you know, a lot of people moving this way and but to know that Utah was has been the fastest growing state over the last 10 years and it's kind of crazy. I have some pretty mixed feelings about uh about Mr. Cox. Um he does a lot of good, but he also does but that, that this is something that I like 100% agree with. So I'm, I'm going to go on a little tangent real fast. So I used to work in high school so I, I I was born and raised in southern Utah, and I actually worked for the city of St. George Water Conservation District. And uh, something that a lot of people don't understand is one of the most valuable resources that people have to have is water. But a lot of people don't quite understand that, like, you know, only the, it, some places, the resources, they only cover so much. There's only so much water in certain places. St. George, Utah is a beautiful place. It's a, a lot of people retire there. So many hikes, so much nature. But you cannot have thousands and thousands of people just move there because there's just not a lot. There's not a, not a lot of water to start out with. So <clears throat> I completely agree with, like, telling people not to move here because the resources are just not here. Like they can build and build and build and build and build, and then all of a sudden you're you're. What what kind of chaos do you guys think the state of Utah would go into if we if there was no water and we ran out of water? Dude, yeah, yeah, it'd be insane. Utah is a desert. It is not a jungle. It is a desert. Right. It, it's a naturally beautiful desert. Just how you know it 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 doesn't rain here. So 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 stop moving here because we can't. You know you know the Great Salt Lake's gonna dry up and all these. All these dust and chemicals are going to come kill us all. So stop moving here. We need the water. Like, <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was another little story that I was reading around the same uh, time is that the uh, Great Salt Lake has, has gone. It's the lowest it's ever been. Yep. Just so, too many. Say, hopefully with all the, the rain and the snow that we've gotten over this, this winter and with it still kind of coming. We might be in a better better spot but yeah you don't actually take into account that i mean for sure we've know, gotten you... pounded this winter especially with the snow dude like it has literally been non-stop i mean i think this last week is the first break that we've gotten in like a month and a half uh, aside from that it's just been snow every day so oh absolutely and I, I love it because it's like helping clean up like the air quality and it's filling up uh yeah, these these extremely low extremely low reservoirs. Deer Creek is, is super low. Uh nobody really cares about Utah Lake because that that lake is dirty. <laughs> um <laughs> but other than that, you know, fill it up. We need we need that shit. Like put it up on the mountains. We need that stuff. We need it to survive. So For sure. <laughs> I definitely know in the next, you know. The next couple of years, the the ongoing issue is just going to get worse and worse and worse. And uh, if you drive around in northern Utah, even in southern Utah, there's just new subdivisions going up absolutely everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, construction does not stop, and neither does the cost of all the wood and everything else cost to build a house anymore. So, 100% agree. John, you got anything else for us? Uh. I'm awesome, and I'm very happy to be with you guys today uh, to give some type of 
uh, awesomeness to this podcast. And I think that's all that I've got for the day. So yeah, buddy. <laughs> one other thing that I want to add to to John real fast. We had a comment on Instagram asking if I had beef with John, and I just want to let you know, me and John are both mature adults, and if we have any issues, we're gonna go fight it uh, behind the trash can. We're gonna go have a little fist fight behind the trash can. Uh, other other than that, we'll be good. We'll be good again. But there's there, there's no issue between us. Just so you guys know. Look, look, I've got beef with that right now because if I'm going to do something, I'm going to take you out to the flagpole. All right. All right. There's no behind the garbage, you know, behind the trash cans. I mean, but I, I, I don't want people I mean, to see. I don't want we're people. adults. We take it out to the flagpole. We do not take it out by the trash because that's where trash goes. Okay. So maybe after this, we meet up and I'll, I'll, I'll show you. I'll, I'll show you what's up. <laughs> Okay, sounds good. But uh, whoever made that comment, just letting you know there there is there is no beef uh, between any of us, and we don't ever, you know, people disagree on stuff, and you know, sometimes on the podcast it might sound like it, but uh, that's something that we resolve behind behind closed doors or at the flagpole. And uh, so yeah, just yeah. Uh, addressing that 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 question. So no beef between me and John. <laughs> yeah, no beef. <laughs> Well, uh, if you want to pass D's nuts to Sean, I mean the talking stick. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, uh, today we are uh, going to talk about the Hells Angels and uh, some of the big four motorcycle gangs. So if you guys are ready, we'll ready. Uh, hop in the Clapmobile and get going. Hell yeah, I'm ready. But hey, can I tell you my dream bike real fast before we hop in the Oh, si Yeah. <clears throat> so so before we start this real fast, we're going to go around. Everyone says their current bike and their dream bike. So my current bike right now is a specialized mountain bike. Uh, it's it's powered by my two legs. Uh, I'm not cool enough to actually have a motorcycle quite yet. But uh, if I was going to buy a bike, uh, I definitely am a fan of like the, croc the crotch rockets. You know, the big fast ones. That... Um, an R65X seems pretty cool. So uh, if, if I had the money, if I had $11,500 to buy one brand speaking new, uh, I'd go buy one. But uh, that's my dream bike. So next. That's pretty cheap, bro. I like that, though. I drive a uh, 2020 Harley Slim. And uh, I don't know. Dream bike would probably have to be uh, the new Indian Challenger or uh, one of the new Road Kings. So with me i've usually always driven the uh some kind of honda right now i got the honda shadow uh 750 and i've i've always enjoyed it love the engines extremely reliable extremely smooth ride um that's dream bike i don't know i'll probably choose another honda uh a different maybe in another shadow maybe some of the touring the touring ones um what is your guys' opinion on the BMW electric bikes? Would you ever ride an electric bike? I would never buy an electric anything, to be honest with you, man. Like, <laughs> I I know a lot of people are going towards it for the green earth thing, whatever, which I'm all about if you can actually do it. But have you ever sat in, like, an electric vehicle and, like, watched it charge? Like, did you just sit there for, like, an hour to get that sucker to charge in the first place? You know what I mean? And you're really not saving that much more money off of the actual charging itself. Like, 
and then if the battery goes out, it's another twenty grand to replace the battery. I mean, it's just a whole bunch of cons that, in my opinion, just really aren't worth the time on an already way overpriced vehicle. You know, so that goes for cars, bikes, whatever. Interesting. I've actually uh, I've never lit ridden in an electric vehicle. So if you own a Tesla and you want to take me out for a spin, uh, hit me up. I, I hear they're pretty fast, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Sean, I'm ready now. I'm ready. All right, brother. All right. So the Hells Angels, the Outlaws, the Banditos, and the Pagans. These big four. These are some na or these names automatically carry with them a sense of fear and fascination. And for me, growing up, I always wanted to ride. And I finally got the opportunity to about three years ago, and I've been riding ever since. There's nothing quite like it, and as my little brother puts it, it's an all-new sense of freedom. John, you know about that, right? Oh, absolutely. Uh, nothing better than jumping on your bike and just going. Hell yeah. But when I was younger, I would see these club members riding through where I lived, and I wanted to be a part of that. Maybe it was just a fantasy of being patched in and riding with a crew of people or some sort of brotherhood. I don't know, but... I remember seeing the Hells Angels and the Sons of Silence and the Barons blow past us on the freeway, always riding in a group, and it was pretty inspiring. And, uh, you know, then came along the hit TV show, The Sons of Anarchy, and although I know it's nothing like the real deal, I was hooked. Now that I ride with a few friends and uh, in some of these groups, I've come to find a completely different look on life. And today we are going to talk about probably the most infamous of the big four motorcycle clubs, the Hells Angels. So every time I bring up clubs with someone, I usually get the same questions. Like, So let's go cover some of the basics. Uh, the MC lifestyle is definitely not for everyone. And first off, why are they called the one percenters? The term one percenter originated from July 4th of 1947 and an annual gypsy tour race uh, sanctioned by the AMA or the American Motorcycle Association, which was held in Hollister, California. The Gypsy Tour Race, which was the piece de resistance of the motorcycle racing, it, uh, held, it was held at different locations across America and had previously been held in Hollister in 1936. Approximately 4,000 attended the Gypsy Tour Race, and many of the riders and non-riders ended up celebrating in the town of Hollister for three whole days. There was a lot of hardcore beer drinking, street racing, and uh, by Sunday, the California Highway Patrol was called in. They armed themselves with tear gas to help put an end to the event. After it was over, 55 bikers were arrested on misdemeanor charges and no reports of property being destroyed or of looting and not a single report of any local being harmed in any way. However, the San Francisco Chronicle ran articles that exaggerated and sensationalized the event. Um, headlines like, Riots, Cyclists Take Over Town, and words such as terrorism describe the general atmosphere in Hollister over the holiday weekend. To top it off, a San Francisco Chronicle photographer by the name of Barney Peterson staged a photograph of an intoxicated biker holding the bottle, uh, bottle of beer in each hand while leaning against his Harley uh, with broken bottle, beer bottles across the ground. Um, Life magazine then went ahead and picked up on that story and ran it in July 21, 1947. It ran Peterson stage photographed on a full-page display titled Cyclist Holiday. He and his friends terrorized the town. Ultimately, to the dismay of the AMA, 
the image sparked both fascination and concern about the violent, unruly nature and the growing subculture of motorcycle gangs. The AMA responded that it was reputation and the association of its members uh, was all just a rumor. And the press was stating that the trouble was caused by the 1% deviant that tarnishes the public image of both motorcycles and motorcyclists. And going on to say that 99% of the bikers are law-abiding citizens and the 1% are nothing more than outlaws. You know, I'm so, going to be honest, that freaking pisses me off. If you're the type of person that you judge a whole entire group based on one person's actions, you're a piece of crap. Right. Like, I don't think there's any better way of of saying that. Like, literally... I remember growing up, like, I would go skateboarding, and everyone hates on skateboarders. And, yeah, there's some of them that go do vandalism, and then there's some that are very, very respectable. I'm assuming it's the exact same thing with bikers. You know, bikers, I, I know a lot of people that ride bikes. I've, I've had friends that have owned my motorcycles, and they've all been, like, law-abiding citizens. Don't hate a whole group or judge a group based on one person's actions. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. With, with me growing up, you know, seeing the um, – all the people riding in big massive groups on the freeway i think is because you know the just what you'd see in the news what you hear in the news and what you would um see in movies whenever i see big massive groups you know pass you on the freeway like in my mind they all had chains you know if you, you give them the a wrong look they're gonna start smashing up your vehicle Right, you know, as like later on, you see that, you know, that's definitely not something that's ever going to happen. But you know, growing up, I think with that culture of that one percent, that that was kind of the mindset of seeing all these big, massive lines on the freeway of bikes just passing you. For sure, it's definitely intimidating. I've read. Really- so, uh- Sorry, oh, go ahead. Let me just say one thing real fast. So I've ridden yeah. by many, many groups. I know like Heber, a lot of times you go up to Heber's like a line of like a thousand motorcycles that are going up there. And I, I've driven by motorcycles and I I don't think I, in, in all honesty, thinking about it, I don't think I've ever been flipped off by any of them. I don't think I've had any like rude gestures. You know, you always look over and, you know, some of them have like, yeah, they're kind of intimidating looking, but I don't think I've ever been disrespected by you know they're not like cutting you off or weaving in between traffic that's generally like the you know the crotch rocket type of guys but you know in in all honesty i can honestly say i don't think i've ever been disrespected by a large group of people driving driving on a freeway somewhere for sure so uh maybe you guys are wondering how to join up with one of these clubs so everyone's a little bit different but most start out uh, being what's called a hangaround. Um, you're not a member or a representative of the club, and neither the club has a claim on you or each other. Um, if something happens to you, the club is not expected to back you up. It is a time when they size, when you size the club up and ask yourself if it's something that you want. It is also a time when they are sizing you up and asking themselves if you are what they want. It's a gentleman's agreement at this point, and there's no dishonor for either of you if you back away from the deal. In making your decision, uh, you should remember that as a prospect in the club, life will be a lot harder than it is as a hangaround until you are a passion course. Uh, 
you'll be sitting out of church meetings as well as outside and not permitted to enter until you have a patch. So a church meeting is basically kind of like the council for them. You know what I mean? Like where everybody gets in and makes a decision about what's happening in the club, what needs to be going on, and uh, they handle their business. Um, so you are not allowed in on that stuff. Uh, hangarounds usually only wear a leather or denim cut, and the cut is a vest that you see the bikers wear. Uh, the next step is to become a prospect. A prospect happens when someone invites you into the chapter. Uh, they basically sponsor you, and at this point, you're at this point of the initiation phase, you are going to do whatever the club members tell you to do. With one main rule, is keeping your mouth shut. Uh, when you become a prospect, you will get a top banner on your back. Uh, of your cut and it says prospect and at the bottom banner usually saying from what city these are called rockers both the hang around and the prospect positions can take years to advance in when the club has decided to move forward and make you an official member they will have a vote the vote has to be unanimous if you are accepted uh, you get the full logo and the name of the organization on your back where the prospect used to be so most clubs um, also require an American-made motorcycle with no less than 650 cc's. And there is also a hierarchy in these clubs that's formed much like our own government. At the top is the president. He controls the whole MC. And then you have the secretary who keeps the club records. Then the treasurer who controls the money and patches and stuff like that. <clears throat> um, then you have the sergeant-at-arms who makes sure that the club bylaws are all adhered to and uh, the road captain who runs everything related to road stops and, and runs and everything else so <clears throat> that answer some of you guys' questions do you have any any questions you have for me on that? Well I think right now it's just uh, I might not be able to join any gangs because I have a Honda it sounds like <laughs> we'll, we'll get to I, that even though I bought it here in America since it's not made in America <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's actually uh one of the biggest regrets that the hell's angels say that they strictly made it into an all-american uh harley davidson gang pretty much but uh they'll go on later on in life to say that they kind of regret missing some of the foreign make bikes because they are pretty solid state bikes and, and pretty comfortable to ride too but just for the image and the noise and everything else, you know, they stuck with Harleys. So, Sean, hey, can you my, go? My bike, my bike's just as loud as a Harley. I'm just saying. <coughs> going for sound, I got you. <laughs> Sean, can you go a little over like CCs? Someone like myself that does not know too much. Uh, you said it's had to have like a certain amount of CCs. I'm assuming that's like horsepower. So, in other yeah, words, that, that would be the engine's power, as far as that I'm understanding. Um. I'm not exactly a, a motorhead myself, so I couldn't exactly tell you what that CC stands for, but I do under, know that it is the actual torque of the engine, pretty much, that you have to get out. So, so like, my motorcycle has 1,800 cc's in it, and, uh, yeah, it's considered a heavy bike. So, I guess uh, when you're getting your, your driver's permit and everything else they they try to categorize what bikes you can qualify for and anything under an 1800 cc is a 
medium to light bike and anything over that's considered a heavy bike as far as far as what they consider so you said there was a minimum requirement for ccs so other words i cannot drive a moped and and join the hell's angels correct yeah i mean i would love to fucking see that (laughs) even if i like paint it black and put like a little skull (laughs) on the front and wear like a pink (laughs) unicorn helmet that's definitely a no-go right dude yeah, I will pay you money to do that. Just come to work like that. <laughs> I'd get assassinated. I almost feel like I feel like that I'd get awesome. I feel like I'd get the shit beaten out of me. Because they'd be like, "This is a joke," and they'd be like, uh, "Just for doing it, we're gonna beat you up." <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So, who are the Hell's Angels? Uh, most of the versions agree that the Hell's Angels Motorcycle Club was formed on March seventeenth, nineteen forty-eight, in Fontana, California. The club's founders were the Bishop family and a few other World War II veterans that banded together from different post-war bike clubs, like the Pissed Off Biker or Pissed Off Bastards of Bloomington. That's an awesome MC name, by the way. Uh, the name Hell's Angels is commonly believed to have been suggested by Arvid Olson, an associate of the founders, but not a member himself. Olson served in the Flying Tigers and flew for a fighter squadron called the Hell's Angels. During or in China during World War II. <coughs> Excuse me. In the world of motorcycle clubs, there are so many members and presidents of different chapters, and each one contributes to the cause. But no matter where you go in the Hell's Angels, one person is known by everyone, and his name is Sonny Berger. Sonny Berger, the, the ultimate Hell's Angel, was born October 8th, 1938. And just passed away last year, June 29th of 2022, due to uh, liver cancer. Uh, he is universally recognized as the face and authority of the Motorcycle Club. He was an actor and one of the founding members of the Oakland chapter. Uh, he unified various chapters and then had the club incorporated in 1966. He was reputed by media and law enforcement to be the club's international president, even though he denies this. He wrote five books and appeared in TV and movies. Um, he was arrested in seven, he was arrested in seventy four for trafficking heroin, and in eighty eight for conspiracy to bomb the Outlaws Clubhouse. Uh, he was also acquitted to murder in nineteen seventy two and racketeering in nineteen eighty. Um, even though he had all the bad publicity, he is probably one of the most respected bikers ever. In the 1960s, the Hells Angels were heavily involved with the counterculture movement, particularly in California. Uh, they fit right in with the uh, need to challenge authority, embrace individualism, and promote social change. But they were widely known in the famous Height Ashbury district in San Francisco and often attended local concerts and social gatherings. One such gathering took place at a Rolling Stones concert on December 6, 1969. The Stones had hired the Hells Angels to run security for them and paid them $500 in beer. Can you guys imagine getting paid $500 in beer? Hell yeah! yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> Sounds like <laughs> to me. Uh, the, the concert became violent, and the Stones had their stage sitting very low and was agitating the crowd, calling them names and treating them like shit. A man by the name of Meredith Murdoch Hunter approached the stage aggressively with a gun, and one of the angels grabbed the gun and stabbed him. Uh, the man died from his wounds, but the crowd was wild and started messing with the angels' bikes, which all hell broke loose after that. Um, 
Sonny said days after the concert that everyone complained that the concert was the end of an era and the death of the of Aquarius, you know, because hippie stage. But uh, to Sonny and the rest of the Angels, uh, it was just another Angels event, you know. This sort of shit happened all the time to him. So uh, after this, Sonny got to work cleaning up the club's name. Uh, he stripped any patches that were Nazi-affiliated. He banned drugs and hired a public relations specialist that began participating in charity fund events. The Angels hold an annual toy drive, and they also went to Walmart one Black Friday, camped out in front, and when the store opened, they ran inside and bought all the bikes that they had. They went to a local charity that helps the homeless and people in need and gave them the bikes. Um, they also hold charity fight nights. Uh, this is especially super in like places like Thailand and, and other countries that you know, don't really ban public fighting. Um, and all the proceeds go to children who are less fortunate. So, awesome. yeah, I thought it was pretty cool. W for them. I actually just looked <laughs> up a picture of Sonny, dude. That guy has the sickest mustache, dude. Right? <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it's like it, it's massive, but it, it it fits him. You know what I mean? Like it's one of those like, dude, you could have you could have probably been in a mustache competition. That thing's massive. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, the Hell's Angels may have started out just in California, but by 1961, they were going global. The very first chapter, which opened outside the U.S., was in Auckland, New Zealand. And after that, the motorcycle be club began popping up all over the world. The first European charter opened in London in 1969. And these days, Europe alone houses over 275 charters. Since the 70s, charters have been found in Australia, Brazil, South Africa, Eastern Europe, and more. The club is always on the lookout for new areas for expansion, and the club itself says that it is not a racist club, um, but there are probably enough racist individuals in that club that if you're not white, you're probably not getting in. However, black individuals wanting to get into the club joined a club called the Dragons. Um, it's an all-black club founded in Oakland. Um, both the Angels and the Dragons to this day still have a good and long-standing relationship. It has been a long time since the Hells Angels have just been a bunch of guys who love riding motorcycles. They became a corporation, and with that status, they become quite savvy at dealing with legal issues. The Hells Angels sued Disney in 2007 for their logo without permission in the movie Wild Hogs. Do you guys watch that movie? Yeah, oh, I've seen I it. Did. Yeah, love I love that, that show. That's a badass movie. In 2010, they sued the sued the designer Alexander McQueen for misusing their trademark, the winged death head symbol, and also Saks Fifth and Zappos.com for selling a ring bearing the symbol. They even sued Toys R Us for in 2012 for selling yo-yos, which supposedly had the death head logo printed on them. Maybe that's what happened to Toys R Us. I don't know, man. It's screw screw Toys R Us. They were overpriced. <laughs> <laughs> It is true that more than a few hundred members have been convicted of various crimes from dealing with drugs to murder. Uh, there have been times when even different charters of the Hells Angels couldn't get along. Five members of the Hells Angels of North Laval Charter in Canada were murdered by members of the Montreal, Quebec, and Nova Scotia Charters in 1985. The North Laval Charter was considered too wild and rowdy. They were bringing police attention to the club and stealing money from the other charters. The victims were invited to the Lennoxville clubhouse where they were all beaten and shot. 
and had their remains thrown into the St. Lawrence River. The five club members who took part in the incident were sentenced to life in prison, but they all were released by 2013. The event became known as the Lennoxville Massacre. Also, there was a, an assassination attempt on Mick Jagger. So, <laughs> it's kind of a funny story. The, uh, the pride attack on the Rolling Stones frontman, which took place at the height of their fame in the early 70s, uh, it was the Hells Angels who put the hit out on Jagger, according to a former FBI agent. They planned an assassination uh, of the singer at his holiday home in the Hamptons. Fortunately, the attempt was unsuccessful, as they planned the attack from the sea so that they could enter his property through the garden and avoid the security at the front of his house. The men prepared to attack and were traveling by boat to Jagger's home when all of a sudden a gigantic storm hit him and all of the men were launched out of the boat and into the water. They believe the attack was, again, due to the Rolling Stones concert uh, that I had mentioned earlier and him being a jerk-off. So, right, Is that just unlucky, or was J- Jesus saving this man? <laughs> I don't know, man. I have no idea. But, uh, yeah, it clearly throw, like, had them not go and continue with the attack, so... I was going to say thwarted, but hey. <laughs> in, uh, 1978, through the Angels' de- er, in 19- by 1978, uh, the Angels declared war on the infamous Outlaws. Uh, the feud between the two clubs began in 1974 when the Outlaw bikers of the South Florida murdered three of the Hell's Angels in Lowell, Massachusetts, chapter as retribution for the Outlaws being beaten by the Hell's Angels at a party in New York City. According to the Federal Bureau of Investigations, uh, the two rivals were in conflict over who ran the meth game in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, Sonny addressed such allegations by saying, I'm sure there are some angels who've sold meth, just like I'm sure cops have sold meth. I'm sure some of our members own guns, whether legal or not, and I'm sure the government makes a living off of us. By the late 70s, Sonny and some of the other elder angels uh, tried to have a peace conference with the outlaws, and uh, they promised them that no harm would come to them. And so they were going to have them come to one of their clubhouses. But uh, one of their lead officers, his last name is Karenite, uh, from the angels, warned the outlaws that it was an assassination attempt. And when the angels found out what Karenite had done, uh, they demoted him. And basically stripped his patches and stuff. By... 1983, Sonny had been diagnosed with throat cancer and handed the club to his second-in-command, Michael O'Farrell, while he received and recovered with treatment. Uh, Anthony Taterhead Tate, the sergeant-at-arms of the Hells Angels chapter in Anchorage, Alaska, volunteered to become a paid informant for the FBI in 1984, commencing a three-year nationwide investigation known as Operation Cacus. Traveling the country at the government's expense, Tate made documented purchases of firearms, explosives, and drugs from the Hells Angels chapters. He also covertly re- recorded club meetings wearing a wire. During one such meeting, Sonny admirably told Tate that uh, he represented the Hells Angels of the 90s, clean-cut, articulate, and capable of carrying out club business. On August 12, 1986, John Cleave, goes by J.C., Webb, a member of the Anchorage Hills Angels, was shot and killed by outlaws outside of a biker bar in Jefferson County, Kentucky. Prompting Sonny to say that, you know, it's time to start killing outlaws again. 
Sony sent a stolen copy of this government document called the El Paso Intelligence Center, or we just call it EPIC, uh, which contained the identities of personal data of Outlaws members and associates. He sent that via express mail to uh, Webb's sister in, Louis- in Louisville, Kentucky, who uh, then turned it over to the Hells Angels members. He also displayed another EPIC copy uh, for his own Hells Angels at the Oakland chapter meeting. Tate informed Sonny in a phone conversation that the FBI was investigating the package that he had mailed to Webb's sister, so Sonny proposed an alibi that the package contained sympathy cards. Sonny also circulated a photograph of the two outlaws who killed Webb, first at the Oakland chapter on November 30th, 1986, and again at the uh, summit of the West Coast chapter on January 3rd, 1987. Soon after... The Cleveland chapter, President Kenny Yates was shot and wounded by outlaws. On September 18, 1987, Tate had told Sonny that he had been to Chicago and Milwaukee to carry out reconnaissance on the outlaws' clubhouses. Um, there and that, he would require an alibi if they were to ask if he were to carry out the attack. Uh, Sonny said, yeah, that's not a problem. And uh, on October 18, 1987... Tate informed Sonny of a fictitious plot to bomb the outlaws' uh, Chicago headquarters, which he assumed would likely kill five or six people. So Sonny replied, that'll be really nice after the Juliet thing. And Sonny then made plans to provide an alibi for Tate between October 20th and 23rd of 1987. America, fuck yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Michael O'Farrell, uh the second-in-command, periodically stayed in a Hyatt hotel room booked by Tate and drove Tate's rental car. Tate called Sonny on November 9th in 1987 and reported they accomplished the mission, but the bomb actually never happened. The very next day, Operation Cactus concluded when 38 Hells Angels members and associates in Alaska, California, Kentucky, North Carolina, and South Carolina were arrested on various narcotics weapons and explosives. And conspiracy charges. <clears throat> Excuse me. Sonny was among 13 people taken into custody in the Bay Area, where over 400 FBI and ATF California State Police personnel had carried out 26 raids on homes and other properties, seizing more than 100 weapons and approximately $1 million in cash and drugs, and three meth labs, two epic manuals, for the, and a homemade explosive to explosive device, sorry, uh, were also discovered in Sonny's home by federal agents. A Hyatt hotel room key and a handwritten note deemed to have been written by Sonny after the evaluation of the hand, after evaluation by a handwritten expert. Um, while most of the Hell's Angels arrested in Northern California were charged with drug offenses, Sonny and O'Farrell were accused of conspiring to violate federal firearms and expose laws. <coughs> Sonny was formally indicted or indicted on December 15th, 1987, along with 20 others on March 10th, 1989. Sonny was sentenced to 57 months in prison at the Federal Corrections Institute in Phoenix, Arizona, and he was released November 6th, 1992, after serving three and a half years of a four-year sentence. On the day of his release, Sonny took a flight to Oakland International Airport and attended a homecoming party at the Mountain House a bar at the Ultimate Pass in Livermore, at which Johnny Paycheck performed. Um, 
to celebrate the end of his payroll, uh, payroll, sorry, parole, <laughs> he held another <laughs> private party in Livermore on November 6, 1994, uh, which was attended by approximately 700 people, including politicians Gary Condit and Ben Nighthorse Campbell. It's a cool-ass name, Nighthorse. Anyway, Colorado State Senator Nighthorse Campbell was allegedly tried to use his information to have Sonny released from prison earlier. Uh, the conflict between the Hells Angels and the Outlaws uh, saw a resurgence once Sonny was released from prison, and <clears throat> as long as the results still stand in with the rivalry against the Outlaws. Uh, President Harry Bowman placed a $100,000 bounty on Sonny's life when he made a speech to hundreds of his followers on December 31st, 1993, announcing uh, that basically there's war on the Hell's Angels. The Angels in 1994 patched over the Hell's Henchman biker gang in the Outlaws' home base of Chicago. This resulted in a number of shootings and bombings. And in, in another New Year's Eve speech on December 31st, 1994, Bowman declared that the outlaws would in turn attack the Hills Angels in California. A team of outlaws members were sent to California in early of 1995 to carry out surveillance ahead of the assassination of either Sonny or Christie, who was second in charge. Although the outlaws failed to kill either man, a number of Hills Angels owned businesses in Southern California were firebombed. In 1938, peace talks were opened to end the long-standing biker war with the outlaws. Was, which was largely because of the conflict was bringing down too much police pressure on both clubs. Mel Chancey, the president of the Hells Angels Chicago chapter, who served as their lead negotiator, met with Sonny in the spring of 1998 to discuss the negotiation terms. The talks began on July 18, 1998, in the Cabana Strip Club in Illinois, town of Alsip and uh, Edward Shock. Anastas, the president of the Outlaws Milwaukee chapter. That's pretty funny. You imagine having peace talks at a strip club. So, Hell yeah. <laughs> right. It's like, hey, we like to talk peace. Uh, here are the terms. Bubbles, get over here. <laughs> Hell yeah. Under the terms that uh, Chansey and Anastas struck, the status quo was preserved as the Hells Angels recognized Chicago as within the territory of the outlaws in exchange for being allowed to keep their chapters in the Chicago suburbs. The agreement also applied to Canada with the outlaws agreeing not to provide assistance to the Rock Machine MC in return for peace with the Hells Angels in the United States. Uh, Sonny attended the last negotiation or last negotiating session with the outlaws between january 23rd and 25th in 1999 in indianapolis where in a joint press conference with anastas it was warned that any outlaw or hell's angel who violated the peace agreement would be dealt with in 2000 sonny became a best-selling author with his autobiography hell's angels the life and times of sonny barger and the hell's angels motorcycle club in later years barger also worked uh promoted Motorcycle Safety. He co-authored a book on the subject of Darwin with Darwin Holstrom called uh, The Idiot's Guide to Motorcycles in 1998 uh, and Let's Ride, Sonny Barger's Guide to Motorcycles Riding. In 2010, he also made an appearance in The Sons of Anarchy as Lenny the Pimp. I don't know if you guys ever watched Sons of Anarchy, but he uh, 
appears in that show about three or four times, which I thought was pretty cool. I have also, seen some of I haven't seen all of it, but I have seen Sons of Anarchy, some of it. You also know the guy named Happy? Cannot it. remember names off the top of my head. Oh uh, yeah, he's also a real Hell's Angel. And uh the Sons of Anarchy was the the guy who wrote Sons of Anarchy wanted it based off of the Hells Angels Clubhouse, so he figured what better way to do it than to bring in actual Hells Angels. So uh inside one of the clubhouses the saying goes, When we do right, no one remembers, and when we do wrong, no one forgets. And angels forever, forever angels. So yeah. The next club makes the angels look like choir boys. And I'm, of course, talking about the pagans. The pagans are more dangerous than the two notorious gangs. Uh, the Hells Angels, in my opinion, are like a business. They have copyrights and doctors and lawyers who are members but are not involved in criminal activity. The pagans are just violent individuals. They are bad dudes. They don't have two nickels to rub together, but they don't care. And that's a quote from a former alcohol, tobacco, and firearms agent Croak spent two years undercover with the pagans pagan members sold uh, or pagans members sold crystal meth and guns gang raped women brutalized rivals and extorted businesses pagans were founded by a legendary biker lou dobkin in maryland around 1957 the pagans mc was born in prince george's county maryland with all of 13 members officially official mc began Business began in 1958 to 1959 with the club being pretty peaceful. In the 60s, as it began to expand, it began to follow the a traditional OMG setup or the outlaw motorcycle gang. Um, simply because it was joined by a lot of veterans with plenty of resentment against the government when they first uh, started. Uh, they dressed in blue denim jackets with embroidery rather than biker jackets with patches. I think right now we'll go ahead and take a sponsor break real quick. Did you enjoy the clap by fire intro? Do you want to play some of the best apps and mics out there but are broke as a joke just like me? Check out MidnightAudioImpulses.com where you can purchase impulse response in digital speakers. This allows you to still shred that expensive amp for a fraction of the price. Plug in your guitar to your computer and bam, you sound just like your favorite bands. Instead of forking out cash for expensive cabinets, it's a plug and play. Clap by Fire Podcast has an exclusive offer for you at checkout. If you use code CLAPPED in all caps, you can get 25% off your purchase. Again, at checkout, use code CLAPPED in all caps for 25% off your purchases. Again, go check out MidnightAudioImpulses.com. Do you love telling stories and want your voice to be heard? Check out Anchor.com. Anchor is a free program with built-in features that allows you to record and edit on the go. This allows you to get your content out there fast and easy and stress-free. Did I forget to mention it's 100% for free? Anchor's website being super user-friendly allows you to create an account in less than five minutes. Start creating today 100% for free. Check out anchor.com. And we are back. Nice. Okay, so although outlaw motorcycle clubs prefer riding Harley Davidsons, the Pagans' preference on motorcycles was always leaning more towards Triumphs. Triumphs are made by BMW, um, just in case anybody was wondering. 
as uh, they expanded the Harleys later replaced the Triumphs. However, the blue denim jackets remained, and their embroidery was replaced with traditional patches. The patches state pagans in blue in a medieval-style font across a white cloud with red stitching across the edges. The cloud patch is accompanied by the image of a sword-carrying Norse god, Surtur, plus a 1% patch meant to denote the most violent motorcycle gangsters. Uh, affiliate pagans sport a blue-on-white number, 16, in the same medieval font with the letter P as the 16th letter in the alphabet. Uh, the white cloud was originally meant to indicate white, white supremacy, Croak says, and the red trim represents the bloodshed by gang members to defend their turf and their values. The gang in recent years has shelved much of its white supremacy rhetoric and in, in interest of the, the expansion of the gang. Members in New York City now are often Hispanic, and pagans today number about 2,000 members nationally with 12 chapters in New York, four on Long Island, four in upstate New York, and four in New York City. The Bronx has historically been the Pagans' home turf within the five boroughs. The Pagans are ruled by a mother club or a ruling council with a proper government structure and a president. The first president was John Satan Morrow, Marin, sorry, uh, the erstwhile president of the Sons of Satan MC. In the 60s, as a show of class, Marin was paid the same salary as that of the U.S. president, around $100,000 a year. The Pagans wear a lot of different patches, and the first is their bottom rocker. They actually claim the entire East Coast, but before this uh, bottom rocker, they didn't claim it where the rider was from at all. They also wear the number seven, which means that it, you are, it is a memory of someone. Uh, the number five, which means that they have Nazi affiliations. And the number four, which means that they to live as a pagan and die as a pagan. And the last one is my favorite. It is the Nunya patch for Nunya fucking business. Hell yeah. <laughs> their arch rival, the Hells Angels, uh, started to squeeze into their Bronx territory when uh, they left their infamous uh, clubhouse at 77 East and 3rd Street in East Village in late 2019 for an abandoned American Legion Hall on Longstreet Avenue in the Throgs, New in Throgs Neck. Uh, the Pagans quickly responded, firing up to 14 gunshots into their rivals' new digs in early of January 2020. A few months later, uh, Francisco Rosado, the leader of the Bronx chapter of the Pagans, whose face is completely covered in prison-style tattoos, was gunned down in broad daylight in May of 2020. His two assassins wore masks and carried handguns fitted with long silencers. Hell's Angels' Honcho Frank Tatuli, who's 58, and club member Tayanon Bronkloth, 29, were arrested two months later after, charging, after being charged with murder. Uh, the gang's recent public resume includes baseball bat beatings of a Hell's Angel by pagan Robert Hellboy Deronde, a Newark gas station in 2018 and a shooting on the New Jersey Turnpike in 2020 that led to the indictment this past December of a high-ranking pagans, Larry Savage Ortiz and Junius J.O. Aquino. Uh, the gang has diverse criminal operations. Uh, pagans are engaged in criminal activities such as arson, assault bombings, extortion, and murder. And their favorite weapon to bring to a beatdown is an axe handle. 
these guys are so secretive in nature that they don't even really have a clubhouse and they live more of a nomadic lifestyle. Crook says the Hell's Angels sleep in five-star hotels and the Pagans sleep in dirt fields. Uh, the Pagans value brotherhood and violence above all else. It is all for one and one for all mentality. On February 23rd, 2002, 73 Pagans were arrested on Long Island, New York after appearing at an indoor motorcycle and tattoo expo called the Hellraiser's Bar. Ball. Uh, sorry, the Hellraiser's Ball. The Pagans had shown up to the event to uh, confront the Hells Angels who were at the ball, and dozens of Pagans rushed the front doors of the event and were met with violence by the Hells Angels. Fighting ensued, 10 people were wounded, and a Hells Angel shot and killed a Pagans member. Two weeks later, a Pagans owned tattoo parlor called South Philadelphia, Pennsylvania was firebombed. Uh, in 2005, Pagans allegedly opened fire on and killed the vice president of the Hells Angels in Philadelphia chapter as he was driving his truck on the Schuylkill Express. I can never pronounce this. It's S-C-H-U-Y-L-K-I-L-L. I have no idea. Got <laughs> can you guys pronounce that? I, I, I think you're good, man. We're not, we're not judging you. I do it too. Don't worry. <laughs> Anyways, later that year, the Hells Angels closed their Philadelphia chapter. And uh, these and a slew of other crimes involved uh, illicit substances, firearms, brutalized organized crime, and have more have earned the pagans the reputation as the world's most ruthless one percent motorcycle gang. Sometimes the best worst the best ideas come out after a bout of drinking, as is clear with the fact that the outlaws MC was born in Matilda's bar. This bar was the old Route 66 in McCook, Illinois, south of Chicago, and the Outlaws MC was born way before the war. Like most of their high-profile one-percenter clubs, members of the Outlaws are exclusively white males. Traditionally, women have not been allowed to become full-patch members, and the same is the case for men of other races. This is not unique to the Outlaws MCs, though, as virtually all one-percenter clubs are racially unmixed and don't allow women to become members. Um... Whether they're black clubs, white clubs, or Hispanic clubs, Outlaw MCs, uh, the Outlaws MC was formed in 1935, which means that the club will turn 88 in 2023, and their 100th year anniversary is just 12 years down the line. Keeping that in mind, they're the oldest motorcycle club around. The Outlaws have a separate support motorcycle group called the Black Pistons Motorcycle Club. The Outlaws MC uses the Black Pistons as a recruitment club, prospecting for new members when they need to fill their ranks, and other MCs such as the Grim Reapers and Iron Coffins and the Mongols are their allies. Um, Outlaw MCs uh, does not have a very inspirational motto, especially if uh, you think I'm going to go head-to-head with these guys. According to the Outlaw MC's motto, uh, God forgives, Outlaws don't, or GFOD for short, and the warning is clear with an intent and intentional. Um, go against them and they will remember and they will exact revenge. So forgiveness isn't what they believe in. With more than 1,700 members, the Outlaw MC has 176 chapters spread across the U.S. and 12 foreign countries as well, including France, Australia, Ireland, Japan, Norway, and Russia. They have quite the long arms reach even outside of their own 
own home soil and seem to be proud of their span. Uh, you can recognize them by their cut, which has a skull and cross pistons on the back. The skull is named Charlie, and they also have another patch with Adios on it. Adios holds deadly meaning for the Hell's Angels. Uh, I'm so sorry. I lost my space. <laughs> Adios! <laughs> yeah. It means that angels die in outlaw states is, is what it comes down to. So, Being part wow. of the big four means that outlaw MCs uh, technically could be prosecuted under the U.S. Federal Racketeering and Influence of Corruption Organization statute. However, unlike criminal organizations such as the Mafia, biker clubs mostly operate on an individual basis rather than being outright ruled from the top. Because of this, the clubs can argue that illegal activities or isolated occurrences committed by individuals not the work of the criminal's organization. Often 1% MCs will compare themselves to police departments saying occasionally a bad cop doesn't mean the whole police department is a criminal or a criminal organization. Just like Megan in Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I had, to th I had to throw that in there. <laughs> that was great. That was great. All right. Um, in 1977 to 1984, the Outlaws and the Angels fought in what came to be known as Canada's first biker war. The Outlaws had already formed a pact with an, with an MC called Satan's Choice in 1974. And this pact led to a situation where the Outlaws challenged the supremacy of the Hells Angels' influence in, in Quebec. The uh, Hells Angels backed a group called the Popeye Moto Club resulting in a number of casualties on both sides that would become that would come to be known as Satan's Choice Popeye's War now if you ever take a look at the uh, cut of one of these Popeye Motorcycle Club guys they actually have Popeye on the back it's not just some random dude it really is the cartoon character <laughs> so it's kind of funny but uh, both clubs sought to expand into Canada with the uh, Outlaws arriving a few months before the Hells Angels in 1977. Garnet McEwen uh, called a secret meeting on July 1st, 1977, with most of his chapter presidents being present, where he called for patching over to the Outlaws, arguing, saying that being an American-based club would add to their power, saying that the St. Catharines and Windsor chapters had already decided to join the Outlaws. And uh, the chapter presidents, known to be loyal to... Gindin, who was their former president, were not even invited to the meeting. The Hills Angels would also expand into Canada in 1977, when in December they patched over the second largest motorcycle club in Canada, the Popeye Moto Club, which they had been scouting for years as it was known as the most notorious violent motorcycle club in Canada. Tensions between the two groups of Ontario and Quebec began almost immediately with small scuffles and incidences at the end of 1977. February 15th, Hells Angels member Ibis Apache Trudeau shot and killed a member of the Outlaws Motorcycle Club, Robert Cote, and wounded another at the Jewelry Brewery in Montreal, Quebec. This was the beginning of the war between the Angels and the Outlaw. On a side note, Yves Trudeau was Canada's worst serial killer. Uh, he has more than 43 known murders from 1970 to 1985. He was also the 
Hell's Angels leading assassin. Uh, he became a crown witness after the Lennoxville massacre. In exchange, he received a lenient sentence on his life in prison, but he was eligible for, for parole after seven years. So, in March, a bomb was placed underneath the outlaw chapter President Gillis's Gillis Cardoet. These French names, dude. I don't know. Exploded in front of a of a bar in Ber, in Bordeaux Street in Montreal. Cardet was killed instantly, and others were injured by debris from the explosion. On April 25, 1978, two Hells Angels entered the Outlaws Clubhouse and went on a shooting rampage. Although no one was killed, a number of outlaws were wounded. On April 26, 1978, Athanas, they call him Tom Thumb, uh, Mark Bullis, was murdered by two Hells Angels members, and the day after, uh, another angel shot and badly wounded Outlaws member, Francis... Uh, Pelissoni, sorry, and his girlfriend. Witnesses seen the men who shot them leaving in a green car, which police found parked outside the Angels Clubhouse. Ballistics proved that the gun found in the car matched the rounds that were fired, and because of this, the Angels were instructed to leave their guns at the scenes of the crime from now on. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Two weeks later, uh, the outlaw struck back and shot a Hells Angel, wounding him in the arm in a drive-by shooting. The Angels went to an MC called the Wild Ones and tried to patch them over, which would uh, give them a chapter in Quebec. As soon as the Wild Ones began to associate with the Hells Angels, though, the outlaws confronted them and told them, hey, you guys shouldn't do that. You probably shouldn't be talking to them. And you know what? They probably should have listened because it led to several of their deaths. The Hamilton chapter of the outlaws started killing the Wild Ones. Uh, the Wild Ones disbanded themselves after five of them were killed by November. And uh, the Angel's assassin, Trudeau, shot and killed Brian Powers, president of the Outlaws. In December, uh, they gunned down a biker, William White Whitehold, um, whom was just mistaken as an outlaw. So Trudeau was like just on a, this killing spree, man. He went ahead and killed the president. Now he's just killing random people. Um, in March of 1979, Trudeau destroyed a car of uh, Roland de Temple, an outlaw's informant with explosives. Later, Trudeau and other angels gained permission to form the Montreal North chapter. This chapter would be best known for its violence and reckless behavior and excessive drug use. Most of the members of this chapter were former Popeyes and uh, still retained the Popeyes attitudes. So this would become a problem for the Angels leading to an event that would be known as the Lennoxville Massacre. The Outlaws would slowly stalk uh, certain Angels and start to kill them off slowly, whether it be like ambushes or at bars or at homes one by one. They would slowly start picking them off as well. But the end of the bloodshed finally came in 1985 when two Outlaws riding were gunned down by two Angels riding across a bridge. Um, the outlaws finally pulled back, and in total, it's estimated that up to 72 people died to the conflict, and over 100 were injured, and more than 50 people had been arrested. So, wow. that is a crazy story, and what's sad is that that same war fuels back up a little bit later on with between the uh, the Hell's Angels and... Um, Oh gosh, I can't even think of the other name. <laughs> and another big biker gang that's up there that's uh, super powerful. So, 
yeah, it's not the end of it. It's still going on, kind of, even to this day. Uh, and I looked up the patches for the the Popeyes motorcycle gang. Yeah. Oh, they look so cool. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> it also look look kind of cheesy, but you know, a bunch of guys wearing them, and they're definitely some of the ones that you do not want to mess with. Right. Just the and, images on Google, just scary looking guys. The uh, cartoon character on the back. How do you not look at him and start pumping your arms and like Papa the Sailor Man? Do, 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 Papa the Sailor Man. I'm sure they probably got that a lot. <laughs> Pound and spinach, baby. Pound and spinach. Yeah. Now, those same guys that uh, were part of that Popeyes group were also with that Lennoxville massacre, um, the Len- one where the angels turned on each other and killed the five guys. So that is the same story, just from two different sides. So kind of crazy. And my last clip for today is the uh, Banditos Motorcycle Club, also known as the Banditos Nation. Uh, it is an outlaw MC. Uh, by membership formed in San Leon, Texas in 1966. The Banditos MC is estimated to have, been, to have between 2,000 and 2,500 members and 303 chapters located in 22 countries, making it the second largest motorcycle club in the world behind the Hells Angels. The Banditos Motorcycle Club is organized by local chapters with state and regional officers as well as national chapters made up of four regional vice presidents and a national president. The leadership of the club consists of an international president known as El Presidente, who has the authority over every club chapter. The club also has uh, nomad chapters made up of members not bound by geographical location, but uh, which are responsible for security, counterintelligence, and internal discipline. Uh, The Banditos, the mother chapter, is based in Houston, Texas. Banditos Motorcycle Club was found, founded by a 36-year-old dock worker, Donald Eugene Chambers, on March 4, 1966, in San Leon, Texas. Uh, Chambers named the club in honor of the Mexican bandits who live by their own rules, and it recruited members from the biker bars locally in Houston, as well as Corpus Christi, Galveston, and San Antonio. The Banditos models include Cut One, We All Bleed, God Forgives Banditos Don't, Our Colors Don't Run, and... We are the people our parents warned us about. Another more generic saying of the club is Banditos forever, forever Banditos. By the way, some of those patches right there were just redesigned from uh, the Angels and the Outlaws designs that they had taken over. Uh, The Banditos insignia, uh, known as the Fat Mexican, consists of a character of a Mexican bandit wearing a sombrero and holding a sword in one hand and a pistol in the other. The design is created, is credited to the club's founder, Donald Champ, Donald Chambers. The fat Mexican bears a resemblance to the Frito Bandito, a cartoon mascot of the Fritos Corn Chips brand. And according to the Bandito's lore, uh, Chambers took the club's name and logo from the mascot. However, the free, the Frito Bandito was not developed until 1967, the year after the Banditos uh, were founded. In addition to the fat Mexican, uh, the diamond-shaped one-percenter emblems, and club members also wear other patches on their leather or denim vest known as the colors. These patches consist of red lettering displayed on a gold background. 
The Bandidos color scheme was inspired by that of the United States Marine Corps and chosen by Chambers as a Marine Corps veteran of the Vietnam War. The Bandidos size may rival the Angels, but they have enough trouble with smaller gains in their own backyard. <coughs> Excuse me. On uh, May 17th, 2015, in Waco, Texas, United States, a shootout erupted at the Twin Peaks restaurant where more than 200 persons, including members of a motorcycle of from motorcycle clubs that included the Bandidos, the Cossacks, and allies, had gathered for a meeting about political rights for motorcyclists. Law enforcement, which included 18 members of the Waco police and four state troopers, had all gathered to monitor the restaurant and meeting from outside. And according to police, uh, they returned fire after being shot at. Nine bikers were killed, 18 others wounded or injured, and 177 individuals were ultimately arrested and initially detained in connection with the shootout for the most alleged participation in organized crime. These guys still bikes, run drugs, guns, and they do not take insults. Um, there is literally not enough information about these guys out there on the web, unfortunately. They are still kind of a, I don't know, keep it under wraps, but everybody knows who they are because of the crimes that they commit. You know what I mean? So... That's uh, pretty much all I got for the Banditos, but uh, there is one more club that I do want to touch on, and they are not a one percenter. On the uh, on the Banditos, uh huh. There's the talk about them and their name from the Frito Bandito. Yeah. Did you have you ever heard the Frito Bandito jingle? <laughs> I have not. No. Do, do you want Do you want to hear it? I would love to hear it. How would you like to hear the Frito Bandito jingle? <laughs> Sing it for us, John. I am the Frito Bandito. I like Frito's corn chips. I like them, I do. I like Frito's corn chips. I take them from you. <laughs> that is mom, awesome. Mom that that was that beautiful. <laughs> my mom used to sing that jingle, and I, it always stuck with me. I'm, looking at, I'm like looking at a lot of the patches now, and... Out of all the uh, the patches, I think the Frito, or the 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 Bandito um, patches is probably my favorite. That the, is uh, awesome. Sombrero, he's got a gun. He's got a gut hanging out. Looks like there's a sword as well. But out of all the patches, I think uh, I like the Bandito a little, you know, the most. Hell yeah! I thought I'd sing you a song. I I thought that was great, dude. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. So there's one more club in particular. They are not one percenters, but I feel like they should uh, get at least a hat tip here. So because of all the charitable charitable acts, of course. Um, and this is the Bikers Against Child Abuse, or BACA. And this club is an international organization that is made up of bikers with an honorable mission. Uh, the club's core mission is to help abuse children wherever they are in the world. Um, it works with state officials and relevant institutions to link up with abused children and offer as much help as they can. Each child is attached to two members of the local branch of the club and that they are always available to uh, render assistance whenever needed. Uh, to accomplish its goal, B BACA 
uses the stigma surrounding bikers as strong, mean, and menacing to its advantage. Uh, their presence warding off potential threats in an effort to protect children in need. Baco was founded in 1995 in Provo, Utah, and maintains groups of members in 18 other countries. So, thought that they were pretty cool, man. But that's it, guys. The uh, big four have been clapped, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Hell yeah, I absolutely love that. Good job, Sean. Uh, I got a joke for you guys real fast that I looked up uh, while you were uh, uh, seducing me with this uh, awesome biker knowledge. Okay. How do you make a biker laugh? How? You Yamaha ha 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 ha. <laughs> oh, jeez. Wow. That's a good one. I, I was oh. like thinking about the punch like before I said it, and I was like, I hope this better be funny. <laughs> it was pretty good. Oh, I decided, you know, both of us have bikes. Kai, you're going to get a bike. You're going to get a bike. This is me telling you now. Going to get one. And we're going to do the uh, clapped, um, clapped by fire biker gang. Um, I decided that I'm, I'm, all the biker names that we heard throughout uh this podcast i'm gonna go ahead and sean's gonna be uh devil dog yeah uh, kai's gonna be uh satan's valet and i'm gonna i'm gonna be twink i'm gonna be twinkle toes sorry i, I love I, it sorry, sorry, it. sorry, sorry. I, can't, I can't just be twinkle toes i gotta put like satan i'm, I'm gonna be satan's twinkle toes satan's or twinkle devil toes. or yeah <laughs> Uh, let me know when you're free, and uh, let me save up a little bit of money. And I'll go bike shop and give me a, a beginner beginner bike. But love the name, dude. Thanks. <laughs> Satan, Satan's Valley, man. <laughs> Hell yeah. Cool, that cool, cool. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. Uh, we're going to close out this episode. Uh, before, we, uh, before we leave, just remember that uh, we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And if you can get on there and please rate us, that does uh, give us better exposure uh, to more people. So thank you guys so much, and we'll see you guys next week. Peace. Peace.